0: Good morning, everyone. The Bible reading today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, beginning at verse 1 through to 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, When I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace, in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known.
1: Thanks Joanna and good morning everyone. My name is Carl, I'm the pastor here at Trinity Church Unley. Thank you for being with us. It's been a long time since I've stood in front of you person to person to open God's word with you. Um, Forgive me if I'm looking for the camera all morning, I'm not used to doing it this way. I want to just begin by just saying a big thank you to Jack for uh, your work taking us through One Kings over the last three weeks. It was a terrific series, Jack, and thank you for your uh, faithfulness in taking us through that. Many of you might not know, Jack is our Minister in Training, which means most of the week, Jack is here at college studying uh, God's Word, learning how to become a teacher and preacher of God's Word. So doing a three-week series, that's not what Jack's sort of focused on mainly, so it's a lot of hard work and extra time and effort. So thank you very much, Jack. We really appreciate your time with us. Well, this week we're starting, well actually we're returning back to the book of John. I say returning because pre-COVID, back in February, we were looking and working our way through John's Gospel, looking at some of those sayings where Jesus said, I am something like the bread of life or the light of the world or the resurrection or the way, the truth and the life. Over the next four weeks, we're going to be going through chapters one to four of John's Gospel. John's Gospel is a a terrific book for us to be reading. Some of you may have heard of a, a man called Leon Morris. He's no longer with us, but he was once one of Australia's most published authors and he wrote theological textbooks or commentaries. And his commentary on the book of John was kind of his magnus opus. It was the one that he was most lauded for. And right at the start of his commentary, he says this about John's gospel. He says, John's gospel is a pool into which a child can wade and an elephant can swim. I reckon that's a great saying. I think it means something like this, that there's something in us, something in John's gospel for all of us. It doesn't matter whether you're a child or an elephant. You'll find something in this book. Well, before we really dig into John's Gospel, I want to ask a question for you about purpose. I want you to think through, why did John write this Gospel? Why did he go to all the effort? What was his purpose? I think that's important because if we understand the purpose of a document, it will shape how we read it and how we understand it. Let me show you what I mean. There's props all over the stage up here today. Forgive me for that. Um... I've got a document here, it's a very simple document. It says eggs, milk, flour, butter and sugar. It could either be a recipe or it could be a shopping list. Right, Um, and I've got the ingredients down here as well. So I've got my shopping bag here, all nice and set up for you. And the ingredients, eggs. Now normally if it was a shopping list, then you'd put the eggs tuck them nicely into the basket here but if it was a recipe you don't use eggs in their carton do you you crack them and you put them in now we don't do that generally with a shopping basket but you know we don't know the purpose of the document we've got our milk here so we pour that into our shopping basket like this mike thought he was cleaning up and our flour you now we put that normally in the bag into the shopping basket but if it's a recipe we just kind of tip it in don't we now How do we read that list? Eggs, flour, milk, and what do we do with it? Well, that depends on the purpose of the document, doesn't it? I want to suggest to you that it's really useful for us to understand the purpose of John's Gospel as we start reading through it, because that'll help us understand what we do with the words, and it will shape how we read it. What I'd love you to do right now... Is to just take a moment to write down what you think John's gospel is about and what its purpose might be. You've got a leaflet there, you might like to do it there. Write it down if you have a pen. What is the purpose of John's gospel? What's it all about? And while you're at it, just scratch your heads a little bit further and think, what is the purpose of the Bible as a whole and maybe jot that down as well. What do you think the purpose of the Bible is and what's the purpose of John's gospel? If you haven't got a pen or you haven't got a leaflet, you might like to just whisper it to the person next to you. What do you think the purpose of John's gospel is? I think the purpose of the Bible as a whole is to show us God's unfolding plan about how he's going to reconcile all of creation back to himself. So I think the Bible as a whole is a book that has a timeline and a destination, and some marvellous promises for what God is going to do to fix what is a broken and fractured world. And I think he's going to do that by sending a Messiah. And the Gospels, well their purpose I think is to show us that Jesus, the person of Jesus, is that promised Messiah. And John's Gospel will actually tell us that. So if you've got your Bibles there, come with me to John chapter 20. So you probably opened to ch- chapter 1 already, but come with me to John chapter 20. It's near the end of John's Gospel. I'm going to read to you verses 30 and 31. That's so helpful, these verses, because they tell us what John considers to be the purpose of what he wrote. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, it says this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. See, John's telling us what the purpose of his gospel is. So that his readers might believe. Belief is, we'll see in the coming weeks, is a big theme in John's gospel. John wants his readers to believe a specific thing though, and that is that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that's why he's writing. It's because it's through belief in Jesus' name that we can have life. So he's saying that you have belief in Jesus. It's different to saying that you believe in things like gravity or that the world is round. There's evidence to suggest both of those things are true. But when it comes to Jesus being the Messiah, belief in that. John tells us means having life in his name. makes a difference to us. And if John is right about that, if he's understood what he's seen with his own eyes, then this is a really important book for us to be reading. That's why we're studying it over the next few weeks. Just a couple of other background things. The author, his name is John. That's how the gospel got its name, John. Most people think that John was a friend of Jesus, one of the 12 disciples, That means that he knew Jesus well. He was an eyewitness of Jesus. And he's written things that he's seen himself. And John's big question is, do you believe? Because that's what he wants from his readers. He's not writing telling us how to make a shopping list or how to bake a cake or anything like that. He's writing specifically so that his readers might believe. And he wants us to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. So having said all that, come back with me to the start of John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 1. And today we're looking at the first 18 verses. Like any good biography, John starts his Gospel account, which is in many ways a biography account, by telling us where Jesus comes from. Now often if you've read a biography, you will know that it starts by telling us about the parents of the person who the book is written about. We'll see that Jesus is no ordinary person. And in verse 1 to 5, we see he's no ordinary person because he's eternal. I think it's kind of funny as we look at these first few verses that it's not until verse 17 that Jesus is mentioned by the name Jesus. But I think you'll see as we work our way through this, that this is deliberate. See, John's a very careful author and he's worked hard on his gospel and he wants us to know right from the very start that Jesus is not your average person. He's not a typical person. According to the Australian Bureau of Statistics, the typical Australian person is a 38-year-old female born in Australia but with English ancestry. The typical Australian is married lives in a family with two children and has completed year 12. She has a house with three bedrooms, she has two cars and is 164 centimetres tall. That is your typical Australian person. Now John tells us nothing about Jesus' height or the sort of house he lives in but he does tell us about his age, doesn't he? And he's old. Not old as in elderly but old as in eternal. Jesus was right there with God, right at the very start, back when the universe was created. Let me read to you the first five verses of this and you'll see these things. It says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, I've already mentioned, of course, there's no mention of Jesus by name here. His name doesn't come up as Jesus until verse 17. These verses instead focus on the Word. How do we make the connection between the Word and Jesus? Well, the Word is the way in which God is revealed. It's his self-revelation. You saw that in the Old Testament, God spoke through his Word, and that's how the people understood him. In Jesus... We get the best picture of God ever. Jesus is the Word. God's self-revelation. I've got a quote on the screen. It's from Don Carson. Thanks, Charlotte, for putting it up there. Um, Here's what Don Carson says about these opening verses. Don Carson is a Bible scholar and writer. He says, The prologue, that's the first 18 verses of this chapter, summarized how the Word, which was with God in the very beginning, came into the sphere of time and history and tangibility. In other words, how the Son of God was sent into the world to become the Jesus of history, that the glory and the grace of God might be uniquely and perfectly disclosed. You know, I think some of us today will have different questions to what John the Gospel writer had when he set out to write this Gospel. See, some of us today might think that Jesus is a story or a fable, a bit like the Easter Bunny. That might be our picture of who Jesus is but for John as he wrote this gospel he'd been a disciple of Jesus and so the existence of Jesus as a real historical person that was never in doubt for John he'd seen him eaten with him talked with him seen him die on a cross the historical reality of Jesus was never a question for John for John what's important is that he show that that historical person of Jesus, that person here he knew as a friend, is the promised Messiah, the Son of God. That's what his gospel's about. He lays down layer upon layer of evidence to show us that Jesus is the Son of God. His first plank in that is to show us that Jesus is eternal, that he's like God, that he is God and then he's no typical person. That's kind of the summary of verses 1 to 5. In verses 6 to 8, and then if you notice as well, in verses 15 to 18, John, our writer, calls forward a witness, someone who can testify who Jesus is. And that's the next plank of evidence that John uses in the construction of his gospel. Now, my mother-in-law, some of you will know her, she's a great fan of those televised murder mysteries, I've got to be honest with you, I'd rather watch paint dry than sit through a murder mystery but for the sake of my mother-in-law who I love very dearly, I've watched a couple of these episodes. I've sat through and watched Murder, She Wrote or Agatha Christie's Pyro and as far as I can tell, they're all the same they unfold as one bit of evidence after the next comes to life. And often that evidence is brought forward by the statement of a witness. John wrote well before Agatha Christie was ever considered but he's using a similar ploy here he brings forward a witness and in this case the witness is called John now it can feel a bit confusing here like there's John's left right and center the witness in this passage is John the Baptist the gospel is also called John that's because it's named after the author who's also called John so there are two John's really in our story, the author and John the Baptist. And I'll try and refer to them as John the author or John the Baptist. John the Baptist, by all accounts, was a pretty formidable character. In the other Gospels we read that you just kind of had to take notice of him. He dressed in a strange way. He ate strange foods. He wore clothes of camel's hair and he ate locusts and honey. He was like a prophet of old. And people flocked to him. They came from the surrounding countryside to listen to what he had to say. I think today, even today, there's some interest in John the Baptist and who he was. I can remember when Gus, one of my boys, was younger being captivated by the picture of John the Baptist in the storybook Bible. He was drawn with locusts sort of flying around him and hair all a why. He kept saying time and time again, I want to look at John, I want to see John. Turn to John in the Bible. And over and over again I'd say to Gus, John's great, isn't he? But it's not about John. Because John the Baptist's job was to point people to Jesus. Jesus is the promised Messiah. John the Baptist's job is to point that way. I wonder who have ever been in the outback, driving one of those outback roads, and seen a ute coming towards you with the lights all across the roof, flashing orange, and that big sign they stick up there that says something like, wide load. I saw them recently on the way back from Port Augusta. Up that way, there are big mining companies, and they're all moving huge pieces of mining equipment around the countryside, and that equipment hangs off the side of the truck. And so to keep everybody safe, they send one of these utes ahead of them, warning the oncoming traffic take notice a wide load is coming and the youths themselves they're covered in these orange lights and they they do stand out from the rest of the traffic they look different but they're not a danger in themselves they're not really the thing you want to take notice of the really important thing is about to come down the road behind them that's the thing that could change your life if you don't move over to the side of the road And these these youths with their flashing lights, they're a bit like John the Baptist. See, he's a witness to what's coming. He's chosen by God to alert people, the Messiah is coming. In verse 15 we read that the word, Jesus, surpasses him because he was before him. And John himself will testify in verses 16 and 17 that the word is the giver of grace and truth. And finally, in verse 17, we see the Word being named as Jesus Christ, the Son of God, himself God, and in closest relationship with God the Father. And I wonder, as Joe read this to you, whether it just all seemed a little bit obtuse. Why couldn't the writer just say those sorts of things? Jesus is being called light and the Word and the one full of grace and truth. Couldn't the writer have just made the witnesses' claims a little easier to understand? I think part of the confusion in these first 18 verses is that John the Baptist and Jesus are not in the same scene. They're not on the stage at the same time as the story is being recounted. But come with me to verse 29. In verse 29, John the Baptist finally lays eyes on Jesus. It doesn't get much clearer than that, does it? John the Baptist was sent by God to declare the coming of the Messiah. In the first few verses of chapter 1, John's preparing the people for the arrival of the Messiah and then in verse 29, he finally sees Jesus and he declares him to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant, he says. This is the one I was preparing you for. John the Baptist, sent by God. His testimony is there in verse 34. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. So we have one big bit of evidence so far for us in John's gospel. We have the testimony of John the Baptist, a man who God spoke to and through And John the Baptist is certain of this one thing. Jesus is God's chosen one, the promised Messiah, the one who takes away the sin of the world. Over the next three weeks, we're going to keep working our way through the first few chapters of John's Gospel, looking for more evidence to show us that Jesus really is the Messiah. I want you to keep thinking and keep remembering the big question that John, our author, is trying to give us the answer to is who is Jesus? Who is the Messiah? Is it Jesus? And John's going to all of this effort because he's seen that for one reason or another, not everyone chooses to see Jesus this way. Some miss the signs, some might look the other way. John wants us to respond to Jesus with belief. As I prepared for this week, I printed out the Bible verses on an A4 page, and I drew a box around the text in verses 6 to 8, and then verses 15 to 18, because those verses seem to be about John the Baptist primarily. And when I'd done that, there was this obvious section sitting between those verses. Now, it looked kind of like, if you imagine it, the filling in a sandwich, or the meat between two hamburger buns. It was just sitting there, kind of interestingly between these two sections about John the Baptist. The meaty bit in a hamburger I reckon is the best bit right and the meaty bit in this passage it asks us as readers how will you respond to Jesus see despite the evidence not all will recognize Jesus for who he really is in verses 10 and 11 we see that not everyone recognizes Jesus as the long promised messiah I think in the letter's original context or in the gospel's original context, it's pretty clear here that John is referring to the nation of Israel, those people who continually ignored the prophets of old. But it does still beg the question for us today, will we choose to consider the evidence? John's showing us the evidence. John the Baptist was sent with one purpose to point us to Jesus and yet even though he's done that with clarity and certainty, Some don't listen. Can I say, if you're here today because you're wanting to get to know who this person Jesus is a little better, thank you for being with us. John's Gospel is a great place for you to start asking those questions. Can I encourage you to keep reading through chapter 1 of John's Gospel? In fact, don't stop there. Read the whole of the Gospel. And ask yourself, what's the author doing? Why is he writing these things? He tells us that he wants us to have life and have life to the full and that that is found in the person of Jesus, the Word, the one who was with God in the very beginning. Some of you might have known Jesus for a long time. You might have come to know him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world many years ago now. It might have been something that you've relied on and trusted upon for many years. But I wonder if you're a bit like me, I wonder if at times things pop up in life which just rattle you a little bit, which cause you to question if you've put all your eggs in the right basket, so to speak. I feel like this sometimes. Perhaps you do also. See, in a way, I've gone all in with Jesus. I left a job as an engineer because I wanted to tell people about who Jesus is. I'm trying hard to raise my kids to know him as their own Lord and Saviour. I spend most of my working time thinking about how to tell others about Jesus and how to teach from his word. In one way, I've got all my eggs in the Jesus basket. Many of you will have done a similar thing. You will have made decisions in life to put Jesus first at the cost of other things in life. I think that's what the Bible's teaching us to do. I think that's what we should be doing in our life. But do you ever get just a little bit rattled in that? Do you ever wonder, perhaps I should start making a little just a little backup plan just in case that falls through? Just put one egg somewhere else, maybe maybe it 's like an unexpected diagnosis in life that causes that rattling to happen. Maybe a global pandemic will do that for you maybe it 's the death of a friend or a family member maybe it 's seeing someone else, a friend who doesn 't have their eggs in a Jesus basket, really succeeding in life. Maybe that's what rattles you. They're able to build a holiday home or get that fancy car. If you've ever been rattled in your Christian faith, I want you to come back to John's Gospel and I hope you'll see it as a great source of comfort and encouragement over the coming weeks. See, John's telling us, time and time again we'll see, Jesus is God's chosen one. You've put your eggs in the right basket. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, John wrote these words with a purpose in mind, They're not a shopping list or a recipe for making a botch cake. These are words that help remind us and help us stand firm in the truth that Jesus is the Son of God. If that's where you've got your eggs, they're in the right basket. I remind you as well that it's through belief that we're able to receive Jesus and be given the right to become children of God. Did you see that in our text this morning? And as God's children, we share in so many blessings that the Father lavishes upon his family. Blessings of forgiveness and life and reconciliation and hope and peace all of those things make this gospel worthy of our study. And we'll be looking at it in more detail over the coming few weeks. Let me pray for us as we close our time on John's gospel this morning. Father God, we give you thanks for people like John who wrote down what they saw with their own eyes about what your son did in this world. We give you thanks for John's conviction that Jesus is the Messiah. Father, if we're inquiring this morning, please help us to see with eyes, fresh eyes potentially, that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that he is the one who you sent, the promised Messiah. For those of us who have known that for many years, we ask that you would give us great confidence in that and that you would encourage us in that. Amen.